Hello, listening people. Hello, my lord. Hello, Bartek, how are you doing? Good, how are you, my lord Ryan? You are a servant, and so you must serve me, and do what I tell you. No uprising. That's not a part of the cycle. No, Ryan, for this impro- I'm, I'm your samurai. No. I'm not your servant. No, you're my servant. Don't I'm... make me grab the bows and arrows and put you no, in your place. I'm a samurai. No, that age is over now. No, well, yes it is, but no, I'm <laughs> the samurai in this scenario. No, you're a, you're a servant. Obey me or I'll cut off your limbs. No, I got a sword. <laughs> well, well, you can't defeat me, Bartek. I've got a force field. <laughs> that's, that's not samurai. Well, guess what? I'm making the rules it's, up. It's probably in Sengoku Basra. So we are Spin Polish Presents, likingly, because we are always spitting, and we both happen to be of Polish uh, heritage. We are the entire nation of Poland between us both. I am Ryan Slowinski, and over there is my good friend, uh, Mr. Jack Black himself, Bartek. <laughs> oh, you're really making me like the opposite of a samurai with all your words. With <laughs> Poland and Jack Black. Like, oh. <laughs> Does Poland not have any samurais? Um, Probably only 72. Okay, Just, there we go. That's my joke, it's a random number. It, he chose a random See, number. You Did I, you laugh? You thought I was going to say no or zero, but then I said 72. Write in to spitandpolish at gmail.com and let us know if you laughed at the number Bartek chose. Mm-hmm. 72. Very funny. I'm laughing on the inside, but I'm laughing nonetheless. And we are here to talk about a movie. Ooh, movies, or as they like to call them in Poland. What's Polish for movie? Uh, I know they call them film or film, eh? Okay, so there's no difference between movie and film? Like how we have the two separate words, yet they mean basically the same thing? You're really putting the English language on blast, Ryan. (laughs) Well, movie is about moving image, right? And film is about, like, the film is the literal thing it is put on. Back in the day, obviously, now we do digital. It's not like we call them digitals, unless you're watching digital shorts from SNL back in the day with Andy Samberg with jizz in your pants or something, but... I mean, I guess it makes sense in that way. Like, there's a literal meaning for both of them, but we've just combined them both. But what is cinema in in Polish? Is it still cinema because that's an inherently French word? Uh, oh, if you're, you're talking about, like, the field in general, rather. Than, mm. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I've... When you are going to a movie cinema or theater in Poland, what have... do you what do you call it? Like, hey, son, we're going to go to the... Unfortunately, the person that calls me son just speaks to me in English. But uh, I know that I remember the shopping mall with the theater. That was the promenade, but ah, like promenade. But the well, I know that the théâtre is like the theater for like plays, maybe. Oh, there you go. But I don't know if they use that same word for movie theaters. Write in at spitandpolished.gmail.com if you know the answers to these questions that the two Polish hosts don't know. Yeah. But we are the, in the top 10 and, Polish podcasts. And hurry before I write into the Google. Before before Bartek writes in himself, he's going to he's going to email us first. <laughs> but we are here to talk about a movie that was recommended by you, Bartek. You mm-hmm. recommended a film for us today. Why did I have to do the recommendation? Because we have a, a mode of transport when it comes to recommending movies. We're on a little train, and each carriage is a person selection. You're at the front of the train. I'm in the middle, and. 
unfortunately, like the recipient at the back of the human centipede, the listening people is at the very bottom of、mm. the train. They're not even a carriage; they're underneath. Yeah, I'm the real shogun in the relationship. You're the real shogun, and so you're going to die soon, and your <laughs> age will be over, and I will inherit the earth. Excellent, but you recommended a feature film. What one did you give us? I recommended the 2010 Japanese film Thirteen Assassins, a remake, yes, of a 1960s film by the same name.、Mm-hmm. Uh, very close in in ratings as well. I, I had a look; they're both hovering around.、Uh, was it 7.3, 7.4ish? I think, or somewhere in there. They're, they're near each other, so both of them have a similar amount of critical acclaim, which I found interesting. I was、mm. curious because. Uh, I have no real familiarity with this particular film or the original. No, right. So when I was googling things, it was there was two of them, and you mentioned the year last time, and I was like, oh, did he mention that year specifically because he knew it was a remake? Because this is a film by. Uh, it's a Takashi Miike film, and we talked at the end of the last episode about Takashi Miike and the importance of Takashi Miike and how he's a very. Does、uh, diverse filmmaker, a workmanlike filmmaker, he is directing constantly. He cannot be stopped. No one can stop him. He has like a million films, a million TV shows, ads, whatever it is. He's he's directing right now as I speak, and we talked about that. But、uh, I I had no clue that the, about much about this film other than the title, and then you said who the director was. And then when I was looking at things, I was like, "Oh, there's an original movie," and that did change my view a little bit. Walking in, being like, "Okay, how would this have worked in the '60s?" And somebody, you know, as somebody who has consumed some of those samurai movies from the '50s and '60s, I can definitely see how this 2010 version exists because. I if you if you shot this in black and white and reduced some only some of the violence really,、uh, and the fight choreography was a little less、uh, showy, it would be very much like a nineteen sixties movie from that time, like of that genre. It's very stripped back.、Mm. The characters are all very defined types, and again, it's it's a story that's simple but told over a long period of time. And just has a very,、uh, very casual way of going about storytelling. So, you recommended this. Tell us a bit about your relationship with Thirteen Assassins.、Um, so, I've said a couple of times over the years that I've been meaning to check out more live-action Japanese films,、um, and in particular, I'm interested in like samurai culture and samurai history in Japan.、Um, And simultaneously, I'm also interested in checking out Takashi Miike films because, again, there has been so many. I've seen so few, and I've heard that some of them can be very extreme, and they're very、uh, notable examples of Japanese cinema.、Um, so, this film, Thirteen Assassins, which I've also heard is one of the ones that are considered, you know, one of his best,、um, seemed like a slam dunk, hitting all the sort of Check marks that I was looking for,、um, yeah. So that's the main reason why. So you had not seen this before? No, I think I said last time that I'd only seen two Mike films, and neither of them were particularly violent ones. They were either comedies or what would you describe the other one like a like a drama? Yeah, like some sort of dr- emotional drama. 
I think it was. So you saw... Lion howling in the wind. Yeah, you saw Ace Attorney, his version of Ace Attorney, which is just seems like a silly time all round. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward adaptation of the first game. <laughs> and then the other film you said, what was the title again? I think it was something... It's from 2015, I think. I think it was like Lion Howling in the Wind or something like that. Which was more of a stripped-back drama Yeah, it was about work. a yeah, Japanese doctor working in Africa. There you go. So with Takashi Miike, I've only seen one other film and i do believe it was audition that's the one i know him for mm. and i think most people know of his work obviously you do have 13 assassins i didn't know about it if until you brought it in uh, the title seemed familiar but then at the same time there's so many titles like such and such number with such and such group, obviously Seven Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven, yeah. and uh, we can go on the Dirty yeah. Dozen. There's I, a I, lot of these movies where it's like, here's an ensemble of strangers and they meet up to do a thing. Yeah, I should also say that I'm a big fan of the No More Heroes franchise, and that trilogy, well, Tetralogy, I guess, uh, really loves Takashi Miike, the director especially, and the characters in the game's mention him a few times in the first two, but then in the third game, which I only played just, like, a month ago, they have, like, a once-a-chapter, like, film discussion segment where they just talk about Mike and gush about Mike. so that did influence me in terms of, like, oh, putting him back in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, there was one where they were talking about, like, oh, what's the most fucked-up Mike film? They mentioned, like, Audition, oh, I think this... And I can't remember when 13 Assassins was brought up, but it was brought up as being one of the good ones. Good to know. There's, oh, what's the other film he's known for? Uh, Ichi the Killer Ichi is the big Killer. One. I haven't seen that one, but I, it, I know of it. Yeah, the other one that I was considering recommending is called Gozu. I've heard that that one's really good, but I heard it's more of a horror, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll save it for October at some Spooky point. Spooky month. So Even I, though I promised fan. <laughs> I, I had a feeling of what this would be about because of that title, 13 Assassins. And I thought, oh, this is going to be like a Seventh Samurai or Magnificent Seven, Dirty Dozen type, where it's like, let's get a group of people together. Some of them are new to one another. Some of them are old friends. Yep, same. And they're going to go on some quest, in this case, obviously, to kill someone in particular. And that's exact, exactly what it is. If yeah. people have not seen 13 Assassins from 2010, recommend that you do give it a watch. But the plot is straightforward and simple. There's an evil guy who's about to rise to a position of power that will one day let him be in charge of all the land. And he is very much a, not just a, a sadistic motherfucker, but he's also someone who's going to plunge Japan into war yet again. And it is up to some samurai to break their code and go against him and fight back and trek the countryside and meet up. And then it's just a lot of action. That's the story. That's the stuff. You have all of these def different characters with different abilities, different skill sets, different personalities. Yeah, you've got the ones on both sides. You've got the code and honor and you know, master-servant relationships. You got someone who isn't a samurai and his opinions on the entire thing. Yeah. So I enjoyed this very much. I had a great time with it. I liked it. It 
is so amusing that both of us have a lacking familiarity with Takashi Miike's films in actually watching them, yet his legacy is very well known in, in the world of cinema and even for you in the world of gaming. But I had a good chuckle at some of the things that I recognize as like Mikeisms. I'm like, hey, I know that from audition, <laughs> or I know that's a thing. As soon as the reveal of that servant girl had all of her limbs severed and her tongue cut out, I'm like, hey, that's a Mike. That's my boy, Takashi. He's I, back I, at it again. I wish I could say that, but uh, I'm realizing now this is the oldest Mike film I've seen. <laughs> Yeah. Because Ace Attorney was like first year uni for us, like 2012, and the other one I already said was like 2015. Oh, they, oh yeah. I didn't realize that the Ace Attorney one was, I guess, that young. Yeah. I thought that was like, tw- if you asked me when that came out, I would have said 2008. <laughs> when did the first Ace Attorney game come out? The original release of the first one, Japan only on Game Boy Advance, was like 2001. Um, there you go. And then the West got it on DS, which was probably about like five, six years later. Oh. So, yeah, my guess was, was like, if they made movie adaptations quicker, was like, that would have lined up pretty well. Yeah, there was probably an Ace Attorney game that came out in, like, 27, to, Kevin 07, 2007. 2000, <laughs> 2007. So what did you think of her 13 Assassins? I liked it, too. I, I enjoyed it. I definitely want to watch it again because, admittedly, I was quite tired while watching it, so I, there were definitely little things I missed. But... Yeah, everything that I did see uh, mixed in with my knowledge of some of the samurai history, uh, it all came together really well. Like, for me, when I say that I'm into, like, the Japanese samurai history, it is about the warring period that gets referenced in the film, which is uh, the 1500s and the beginning Mm. of the 1600s. Um, But I do understand that the feudal system of Japan that we're seeing in this film is, like, centuries long. Mm. And when I saw what year that the film was set in, I realized, oh, this is, like, near the end of the samurai era. So there's probably not going to be as many, like, war-hardened samurai going on uh, about the film. (laughs) uh, And things are going to be on the decline. So with that context there... Um, it added into, you know, the motivations of our villain oh, yeah. and uh, the attitudes of some of the older characters. There's a melancholy inherently within this. We have seen this in other samurai movies or even westerns uh, and, and many time period, period piece things where you're following a well-established group and it is the end of the era for them. The times are changing. And what do these people do now that that's happening to them? That's literally the plot of Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Butch that, Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. Yes, and I was thinking a lot about... Recently, I had watched... Uh, I have. I had watched... I have on Blu-ray. I watched... Uh, from A friend Will gave me a copy on Blu-ray of, 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 of Ran which is a Kurosawa I've film. I've always wanted to see that one. And yeah. that is also a similar thing of we're on the decline. But in that case, it's like peace exists. And now peace is being broken because similarly to the villain in this movie, it's boring and people just want to feel alive again and feel important again. And that film's also an, 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 a very interesting adaptation of King Lear. So that's also got that flavor to it with Rand. But I just watched that a few months ago. So when I saw this, 
it almost felt like revisiting that film in a lot of ways, not do, only do just happen... because of the time period stuff or like the similar nature of like, here's people of a bygone era trying to wrestle with it, but also just the color palette of the movie, mm. the filming <clears> of it, where everything's got a slightly gray to saturated look, but the outfits, the ones that do have color, really pop. In Ran, everyone has a colorful outfit, so everything looks gorgeous in that way. In this film, not too many people do, only the very, very notable ones do. And yeah. then it gets covered in dirt and blood. <laughs> so in Iran, is that also set in the 1800s? I'd have to double check the time period for that one. I can't recollect. <laughs> yeah. But it is, you know, about a, a dying empire so probably, in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, like that whole thing. Like Definitely I said, it's Tokugawa like, shogunate, yeah. It's definitely, like I said, it's a King Lear-like story, so we're following the rapid decline of a once powerful person and seeing everything around them get poisoned. Yeah, for, for context for people listening to this that might not be familiar with uh, the era but are at least familiar with things that we've talked about, uh, putting this in reference to Black Adder and uh, yeah, probably weren't expecting that Black Adder and we did last year Grave of the Fireflies. Mm. Um, Black Adder, the very first season, uh, was set in a medieval era, and you can see similarities between that setting and what we see here in the samurai setting. Um, and definitely that was the case when they were at the same time. But as we watch Black Adder two and Black Adder three. You know, they move forward like 100 years and like England is clearly developing and changing. When it comes to Japan, like the 1500s to like the late 1800s, it was like the same all the way through. So even though this is like two, three hundred years after the Warring States period, the setting just looks the same. Yes. So, And then, you know, connecting it to Grave of the Fireflies, that's set during Mm. World War II. That's like a hundred years after this film is set. Hmm. So Japan has to move all the way to, you know, military and like military vehicles and guns. It's like they had a lot of moving forward to do once the samurai era ended. That is correct. So to answer your question, Ron is set in the late 16th century Japan. So that's when that story is. So that's warring states then. Yes, but in the context of that film, like I said, it's doing an adaptation of King Lear. So it's doing that and applying it to the culture. It's kind of like when we did The Handmaiden and how that's an adaptation of an English novel set in the modern day Mm. about lesbians. And it's like, wouldn't it be interesting if we set it in 1930s Korea where it was occupied by the Japanese? And it's like... Yeah, it's pro- probably oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, probably then the ending of like the warring period where like just war is happening all the time. But let's go back to Thirteen Assassins. What did you think of the filmmaking itself? Because I think going into it, both of us were very much aware of that more than anything else. We've talked about the director a lot, and even with the lack of what we've seen of his work, there's definitely an impression of what he is about. So. Getting something that I guess, at least in my opinion, was more in line with what you think of the director rather than, say, Ace Attorney. <laughs> uh, what did you think of uh, the the style of filmmaking that was present through this? Yeah, the the samurai culture was very sincere, and uh, knowing that uh, Takashi Miike is famous for his stylistic depictions of violence especially with our villain early on when we're establishing just how depraved and sadistic he is, 
Like, the fact that he's just willing to kill people just for, you know, because he can, basically, that bluntness was really powerful. I, I was really taken in by the stylized violence in terms of we don't actually see too much, and a lot of it is quick and to the point. This isn't Kill Bill, where mm. you're slashing limbs and blood is flying out. Like yeah. When people hear the phrase stylized violence, they may think of something like that. But it's almost there's an almost realism to the violence in this film, but it's like he's cranked up the knob one or two yeah. levels. Not too much, but enough for you to be like, Oh, all right. I can mm. I can see what's happening here. Like for for here's here's a great example of what I'm talking about. My favorite piece of filmmaking in the entire in the entire thing it, because it comes out of nowhere, but it's so brilliantly done. Is when we're having the big fight at the end of this, where every samurai is eventually dying except for the final one or two or three, technically, you have two left, and then one of them gives themselves up, and then the one's left, and then, oh, no, the other one who isn't a samurai's back. Uh, We have one of the samurai is slowly dying, and he's on the ground, and he's crawling up, and and he's resting his head on this piece of fencing, and he looks, we now see point of view of his other samurai friend fighting for his life and then eventually dying. And we see the camera looking at it, and but it's on the wrong angle, so everything looks instead of vertical, now we're looking horizontally, and the vision is getting blurry, and we're seeing this friend of his, and this is very stylized way of showing a scene where his friend is just beating people to death with a rock. He's just got a rock in his hand and he's just mm. beating their brains in. But it's a payoff. since the yeah, yes, and since the style of filming this is so different and so abstract, it makes it stylized. But when you actually describe what he's doing, it is the most blunt force way of showing violence of just a guy beating another guy to death but even that you barely even see the impact of the rock to this guy's face because the character we're looking at he's dying and he's not focusing on that he's focusing on his friend's face he's focusing on people coming towards his friend and that was one of i was really taken aback by that because it was not only just out of nowhere and it was sudden but it really made the weight of both of these characters' deaths really important. And that was the thing that was really the key. You know, oh, they're going to die. They're going to die. How is each one of them going to die? And how is the film going to handle that? And some of the deaths were very noble. Some of them were sudden and quick. Some of them just died off camera-ish. Like, you kind of walk over and, oh, they're dead now. And then you had moments like this where you, you really feel the horrors of it all and you you feel the helplessness of it all like this one's dying over he's basically gone and he just wishes he could help his buddy over there but he can't Mm. really impactful stuff yeah um i really like that last scene where it was just two guys left and they have like a casual like sort of friendly encounter and then one of them leaves and the other's just walking away and, you know, we're completely separated from all the hierarchy uh, relationships that mm. we've been seeing throughout the film and honour and the code. And you're just left with, like, is this what the samurai era was leading up to? Just, like, everyone is dead, all to take down this one man. Is Was this all worth it? It was just this powerful moment for me, yeah. Mm, truly. And... 
the thrust, to go back to the thrust of the story, I broke it down, but we have an evil guy and he's too evil. So people <laughs> are asking samurais to step in and we have our main samurai man himself who is shown some of the horrors that this evil lord is doing upon the land and he he had a reaction that it really was unique where he he smiles like he sees this horrifying image of this woman with her limbs severed and and her tongue missing and he he's like weeping and crying and horrified at that but when she writes like total massacre he he starts to like crack up and smile and his hand starts shaking and he's also clearly upset, but then he turns around and says, like, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, I've been mm. waiting for a noble death. I've been waiting for something like this. And I, uh, that was when the movie got me. Till then, I was just looking at it going, okay. We're setting it up, yeah. We're setting things up. That evil guy is really evil. Uh, and we're meeting our characters. And But that there, I just went, if this is going to be what the film is going to be like for the rest of it, I'm going to have a marvellous time. And I really did. All of those characters, the the one who is uh, known for doing fencing, he's never killed anyone before, he was an enjoyable character, and how he bonded with the other guy who was the, the last remaining one, the nephew, who's the gambler, and just they're bonding over stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, killing a person, right? Oh, it's crazy. And then you had the one guy who just has a spear that's his choice but he also wants money he wants to be paid <laughs> uh they were really good at establishing a lot of the characters uh what was it like for you the the early stages of the movie what, what was some of the moments early on that just kind of hooked you in with this um well i was gonna go into about the villain himself uh as you said here he's a very depraved violent man just completely evil bastard. Um, and if I was given, uh, if I was told that before I walked into the film, I would, you know, jump into my head to like, oh, okay, he's like the evil tyrant, violent man, just can't be stopped. He like walks in, in rivers of blood, things like that. But what he actually is, is this sort of I guess more mundane, but intense evil where He's gro he's in a he's a person who, by his very nature, is just not a good person. Mm. And because of his family ties, he's put into a position of power where he can get away with things. And all of the servants that he has are following this code where it's all for the, my master. Mm. What my master says goes. And he it's like he's hit the jackpot. He's this type of person with this type of immunity and he can get away with anything. And even when he's doing the most depraved things, it's not like he's laughing for joy. It's just like comes naturally to him. It's just such a simple type of evil that hits so powerfully because of all the elements that are at play. And then, yeah, as we develop the film and he starts to see like more intense dangers to his own life, um, and seeing what battle is actually like, then this desire to like, I'm going to try to, you know, restart the era of war. It just nails it so well. He was a villain that is clearly mentally unwell, and mm. that is a given. And what 
what you're going through is very correct. When if you haven't seen this and you hear like this is a villain that cuts off people's heads and kicks it like a soccer ball, you're expecting a very melodramatic Machiavellian type yeah, over like the top Caligula, a Caligula yeah. type. That's exactly right. And or a Cartaja. Instead, ooh, Babylon Five reference. But instead, he has a very somber tone to him everything is just a given in his perspective they're servants they have to be reminded that they serve and so i kill a few of them every now and then to instill fear and remind them of their place and he doesn't say it with a gleeful smile and he's laughing he he just says it like that's a matter of fact and a scene that really was unnerving for me. And he has so many things that he does on and off screen that would very much upset viewers. If you are squeamish, this isn't the movie for you. But the no. thing that upset me the most was uh, it was a scene with no real dialogue until the very end and it didn't matter. But we are panning across outside, looking into his room and we're being we're seeing him through the the like the blinds or whatever, the the sheets and the walls, and he's pouring all of his food out. He has all of his food, and he has the chopsticks. He has everything neatly arranged as is traditional, and he just starts grabbing it with his hands and just throwing it in the middle of the table and making it into a big pile of slop. And then he just starts eating it like an animal. Like He just puts his face in it and just starts devouring it, and he doesn't, like, from the little we can see of his face, because, again, we're obscured, uh, partially, he doesn't look happy. He doesn't look sad. He just is doing it. And then he asks for, give me two women tonight. That was a sequence where I just went, ugh, mm. I don't like this guy at all. I really don't like this guy. He's not my friend. He's a little freak. <laughs> He's an animal. That's what they really want you to know. He's, He's inhuman. And he was a good antagonist. And when you look back at it, he's barely in the movie. There's long stretches where we don't spend any time with him. I can believe that, honestly. But yeah, it just feels like he was there pretty frequently. He makes his he makes his mark well known. And uh, when when I was looking at it yesterday, the the thing that I really started to appreciate about the the filmmaking in Thirteen Assassins was. When we would cut to different locations, the color palette would change. So when we were with our samurais and they're about to leave and they get attacked for the first time by those by those uh, drunken ronins, and then when we would cut away to the other samurais that they sent over to strike up a bargain with the town that they were going to set up for the trap and they gave him all of the they gave the like the mayor of the town all of that money you remember that sequence where mm -hmm. they give him all the money and the guy's like yeah yeah he thought that they were there to like wreck it or something yeah uh the color the color palette was different because they're in different locations and that's just simple trick but it's really good for us the viewer to be able to differentiate distance for for things and so when we do cut to the the bad guy and he's traveling in the in-betweens of those we we could actually see just through the the colors of the scenes as we progress he's getting closer to where the town is i thought that was good mm. it was neat a lot of really neat things going on yeah we had about two ritual suicides in the film 
did you did you love that? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it opened on the film. Opened on one. <laughs> yes, it did. That's how you know you're watching a Japanese samurai movie. It has a classic ritual suicide. Mm. Even at the end of that era. Even at the end of that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you always have that thing about like, oh, how upsetting would it be to be the last soldier to have died in World War Two? It's like how upsetting would it be to have committed harakiri within like the last three decades or something. Well, that is true. Well, who was your favorite character out of our 13 assassins, that is? Uh, honestly, I'd have to re-watch the film to really be able to answer that. It was a little bit tricky for me to follow a lot of them, but one that was really distinctive was the 13th one, the last one that joins, um, because he's just kind of the odd one out. He's a hunter who potentially is supernatural in some way because he doesn't seem to be able to be hurt. And he fucks real hard. And he fucks very, very hard. <laughs> All the women are tired. They went through hell. <laughs> um, and yeah, just that very, you know, as powerful as I just said that scene was, just the way he gets himself into that moment of like, oh, man, that was a tough battle. He's like, oh, you're okay? Yeah, I'm totally fine. <laughs> yeah, just a minor injury. And he yeah. points to a different location <laughs> to what we saw him get hurt with which was through the neck he points at like his lower abdomen and he's like yeah yeah, yeah you know i think i'm gonna travel to america <laughs> and again that that really highlights yeah there's the international context of like oh yeah america exists with all of their technology and- yeah at this point you know mid 1800s probably wild westy era yeah maybe but i really liked yeah it's hard it's always hard because there's 13 characters, but most of them you don't get to know. You just get mm. their quirks. This guy has a spear and he and he wants money because he's going to spend it on these things. And then he thanks them right before he's going to jump into battle for the, like, buying his soul or spirit. And it was a good, it was a good price. I like, yeah, I like that, that one where he was, like, listing out what he's going to do with all the money. It's like, okay, he's got noble reasons and he's got luxury reasons. And we had the young guy, the young kid who was a fencer. That was his talent. He was fencing. And he, they, uh, the, the, the main samurai that we have as a character, the Mars, like the head of it all. Yeah. He dismissed, it was very dismissive. He's like, no, no, he's too young. And then, then my personal favorite samurai, like his right hand man who was a bit older and he was the one that they sent off to go, uh, inform, uh, they pay for the village that they were going to use as the ambush for the evil lord, but also he was the one that went off ahead to inform that other group about the lord coming this direction so they could stop block him at the bridge because mm-hmm. he had killed their daughter, like that guy's daughter. So, but like, yeah, daughter in law and son, <laughs> daughter in law and son. I, uh, he, monkey that, bones are hard to break. The, the, yes, <laughs> that character, the one they sent off, I really liked him. He was just the, what I imagine like a classic samurai to be. He was noble and wise, and he had a little bit of humor, but he was still very stoic. And he had a really great death as well in the movie where he was just walking up to the Lord and people were just coming at him and he was like slashing them, slash, slash, slash. And he was just still insulting this Lord character and people were gathering up behind him and he was just looking around like, okay, here's how where I go out. I'm just going to keep walking over. And then they just push him into the side of a house and stab him a bunch. But I really liked his character. He was one of my favorites because when you're going into a samurai movie, 
you have an idea of what samurai characters are like, and he was just the the archetype for me. Mm. Okay, for me, it was actually the guy on the other side, the Hanbei, I think his name mm. was, the strategist under mm-hmm. Naritsugu, who's the lord, um, because he was the one who, you know, we introduced him, and he is completely disgusted by what his lord is doing but he's got the code so he has to approve of it he has to enable it that's that's a word i should have used before like he the lord's in a situation that enables his evilness um and he fights sincerely for it the entire time even though he's not approving of it he he even is the one that's being told about like i think i'm gonna start the era of war all over again Hmm. and he still has to go through with it and even to his last breath like you know, they have the fight with his counterpart on the good side, Sazaimon or something. Yeah. Um, and he dies, noble death, and he's being treated with respect by our hero. And then, as you said before, his head gets kicked by a soccer ball, and our hero is just like, how could you disrespect a great man like this? He he gave his life for you. Mm. And the response is, well, you can kick my head all you like. Because the Lord, the villain, he has no fear of, he seemingly has no fear of death until he's actually confronted with it for real. Then he's really afraid. But early in the movie, he's like, I think I'd like my head to be cut off. I think that'd be great. Oh, yeah. Oh, you'll get that, buddy. You'll get that real good. Honestly, I think it wasn't, there wasn't even that much of a catharsis to our villain being killed because he seemed to enjoy it just so much, even as he's bleeding and shaking. But he was also crying and crawling through the mud, asking, is this what death is like? I Uh... loved the contrast of, you know, he's wearing the white robes the whole film and this is just like covered in. You know, mud and blood and other things that rhyme with that. And yeah, he had a mixture mm. of Betty's death from Kung Pao <laughs> and Captain Hammer feeling pain for the first like time in Doctor Horrible. It's like you've definitely defeated me, but I had a. This was the best mm. day of my life. This Thank also you. was the greatest day of my life. This was amazing. That character, the one you mentioned, yes, he was a great arc, like a samurai type, because he has that conflict, and he was a great antagonist in the film because you understood everything about him mm. you knew why he was doing it he he was conflicted and it goes into your point that when you end it all uh, these people are all dead and what was it for like is this the end of the samurai and we even get the text crawl at the, at the you know as the credits are about to roll in telling us yeah yeah two decades later the shogun had ended and you know japan now has government and that was it. Mm. And so this, yeah, they they died. And what was it really for? Well, well you know, they stopped the one guy. <laughs> they stopped one dude. And now we've moved on. The, the history keeps going forward. And they were just products of a, of a time that no longer needed to be. Mm-hmm. And you saw that with the conflict between the two most samurai characters with uh, the one who's defending our villain and the one who's opposing him, where that there is a demonstration of the times have changed, where the the one who's standing by the, the villain, the one who's doing these horrible things, he's obviously on the wrong side of history when it comes to us looking at it, and he's also morally on the wrong side, but as a character himself... He has a code. He has a he has an honor system that has has been there for hundreds of years, and you can 
not only sympathize with him, but you can definitely look at him as a victim as well, where you're just going, man, I feel bad for you. A lot of Japanese works love that archetype, where it's like the noble guy on the villain side. Oh, yes. And and clearly, yeah, it, it has its origins in samurai times, evidently. And not even just that, but the characters who feel a moral as well as noble sensibility to sympathize or empathize with an inherently evil thing and wrestle with that, like in all of the old Godzilla movies where you have like the science characters or those characters who are like, Godzilla's really not that bad. You know, like they're kind of like looking at it being like, he's just from a different, he's just a product of our times. And it's like, okay, (laughs) but you know, it works. And culturally it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, he was great, but uh, another favorite of mine that I liked as as a character was I liked the duo of the one I was mentioning who was who was dying, and he was looking at his master getting killed as well, and uh, they were a fun dynamic where he, I, I, he was constantly being like, I hope to one day repay you because I haven't done good enough, and... Uh, maybe my death will be that. And even then, he's just like, no, must. <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to rewatch this just so I can get those characters Yeah, I've had in my head. Because, yeah, on the way here, I was reading um uh, the Roger Ebert review for it, and he gave it, like, three and a half out of four. So, mm. you know, he loved it. And it was one of those ones where I didn't really read any flaws, so it's like, oh, you could have given it four. Um, and, yeah, he talked about how, like, the 13 assassins are all so well-defined. I'm like, oh, I really need to get that in my head. <laughs> They had a really, that that duo had the best action scene in the film for me, which is cut to a part of the village covered in swords, hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of swords, and fire is everywhere. Just fire is in the center. And you know, you know why those swords are stabbed everywhere, because they're just going to keep grabbing swords and slashing well, people and throwing swords. Yes, because, just- Ryan, you'll run out of ammo if you don't have that. I loved that scene. It was so good. And when when the, the master, the one who's like the biggest, meanest looking motherfucker samurai out of them all, he's, he's slowly walking up to the Lord and his men and he's like slashing dudes left and right. And he's just cockily being like, yeah, let's go. And then a bunch of re- reinforcements barge in and he just turns around and goes, retreat, retreat. <laughs> and they run away. They were a great duo. Uh, In all honesty, what was great about 13 Assassins, and yeah, you you have to give it a watch again, you could see each one of the Assassins being a a lead in their own movie. There were multiple characters. I'm like, oh, is this going to be our lead? Like, uh, the Hanbei, the guy on the villain side, like, oh, this guy could easily be the main character. And when we were getting the... uh the flashback at the beginning where it's like, oh, I so regret asking my daughter-in-law to give him the drink or whatever it was. Mm. Like, that girl's husband, I'm like, oh, is he going to be one of the 13 assassins? Mm. Like, you know, he's got, you know, a motive being established here, and no, he just gets stabbed in the back. Yeah, and it's treated with real shock. Mm. Like, oh, he got killed. When one of the first samurais die, that was a real, like, shocking moment too he just gets stabbed from behind with a spear and his death is really pathetic in a way like he's just staggering and no one's really coming at him he's just swinging his sword wildly he has no clue what to do and he just falls over 
and huddles in a ball and dies. It's, sim- it's similar to the last person that dies in the film, like when the guy's walking away and the guy's like, oh, not quite dead and just wildly swinging. And- yeah, and he just like smacks him on the back with the sword. And it's like, what the hell, man? And just kills him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really got a I really got a lot out of this. I I, I like uh, period piece movies, f- especially ones where we get to see uh, landscapes and how they have these people in their attire just blend into those landscapes. I really get a kick out of that in live action and in animated form. I like that a lot. So when they detoured off their path and they went through the the forest and the jungle land and they bumped into your favorite assassin the last one <laughs> and he's just stuck up do in i there. look like a raccoon do i look and he, and he keeps hunting for them and they keep being like no not rabbits <laughs> and he's like what do you want man this is what i got there, there was that one scene it was like at night in the middle of the town where uh like these four guys were trying to mug one of our 13 assassins and mm. It reminded me again of what we were talking about last week with Clint Eastwood, like just guys picking on the clearly tough guy and just getting their asses handed to them. Oh, that was a marvel. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, that was a good moment. Uh, any other things you want to bring up about Thirteen Assassins? Any other moments? Any other character scenes? Or ideas being floated here? This was a good movie. It was a good movie. <laughs> Are you going to go on a Takashi Miike kick now? I, I really want to check out more of his films for sure, yeah. Yeah, check out his more recent ones about Power Rangers ripoffs, <laughs> whatever he's doing. Like the Super Sentai films. Uh, he, I don't know what his thing is, but he just loves making movies, I guess, and uh, he cannot be stopped. He's, he's an absolute wild card, and I, I'm not too familiar with uh, Japanese actors by any means and I had a look at a good portion of the cast and uh, I think most of them I looked at have not been in things that I have seen before but Mm. they've all had a great body of work so I'm sure people who are a bit more familiar with with Japanese actors may know them for this, this, or this. Yeah, on the simple, like, you know, hover your cursor over their names on Wikipedia thing, it, like, listed a bunch of things. Like, I think the... The 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 assassin I liked the the wild mm. hunter guy like it lists like four different things. The last one was like businessman. I'm like, oh, this guy's <laughs> prolific. Um, yeah, I, none of the, uh, there was no overlap with any of them in the voice acting industry. But a lot of them had really striking voices and vocal performance. Like I've heard vocal performances like this in like games and stuff that I've watched. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. Just talking about uh, their expressions. Mm. The, the, they, the, these actors, all of them have amazing expressions and the voices as well. One of my favorite actors is the guy who stopped the the villain at the bridge. I thought his performance was really good, just giving him this look, just this fucking, you do not cross my bridge, you killed my family last year and I remembered that and I'm I didn't going, happen to forget that I didn't happen to forget <laughs> that but that that performer for the minimal amount of time he's given he he is someone who comes in like this is my story mm. and that's really felt with with everyone in in 13 assassins everyone's playing it like this is my story and it adds so much gravitas to this and I think uh, an appeal of something like a samurai movie, modern or from the golden era of filmmaking, is 
there's an inherent epicness, whether it's in the scale of things, like the scale of fight scenes here, where they're running all around the town, they've got traps, they've got knickknacks hidden away, they've got, here's all these swords. That's impressive, as well as just the, the scale of where they're going to and from places. But uh, with a samurai story or with a western, there's always this just certain sense of epicness because for for cinema's sake, for, for both Japan and, and for, for America, these were the great films that we saw at the beginning of cinema itself, of a lot of cowboy stories or, or, or samurai stories. And so when you revisit ones from that time or when you see ones like this, which is in itself a revisit of a film from the 60s, you you can just feel like I don't know if you get this at all, but like you just you just feel this epic sense of scale and weight to it that I don't think some other genres have built into them the same way because of just not just a real life cultural history for say samurais, but just in terms of history and cinema itself. There's just there's just something potent about it. Mm. Yeah, again, I want to check out more Mike films, and you mentioned him earlier. I also need to check out more Kurosawa films because, yeah, the only one I've seen is Rashomon, which is of the same era but wasn't about samurai either. But that one's influential enough to where a storytelling style is named after it. Yeah, yeah, that that is a that's a good one. Is Ran Kurosawa? Yeah, yeah, that's another. That's one, one of his uh, later ones. That's one of the ones in the eighties. Oh, oh yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, recently, just to talk about that, uh, Martin Scorsese has a movie coming out, and he had a quote where he was talking about. I think it was Kurosawa when he was at like an award ceremony for 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 Ran or or one of his later movies where. Uh, Kurosawa was talking about like when you reach a certain age, like you know he was in his seventies or eighties. It, 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 there's a real inherent sadness knowing that you finally understand what to do, but you don't have enough time. Mm. Martin Scorsese's eighty years old now, and he said in a recent interview, "Is like I never understood what he meant by that, but I've got a movie coming out. I'm eighty years old." I feel like I know exactly what I need to do now when it comes to making movies, but I just know I don't have time. I just don't have the time. Like, and it's really upsetting, but that's the nature of some artists is... Like youth youth is wasted on the young, they say. Yes, and you spend decades fine-tuning your your abilities and your craft, and then once you feel like you're getting at it, you realise, wow, I'm near the end of my life itself. And both for Kurosawa and... For Scorsese, in the later parts of their careers, they had trouble getting movies made, uh, in in you know in different ways. And with Scorsese, I mean, he had We've... to get the Irishman. Netflix had to come in, and it's like because no one else wanted it. It's like, are you telling me Scors- Scorsese says I'm going to make another gangster movie with Pacino and De Niro, and people are like, nah, I don't want it. I thought you were going to bring up the Snowman. Oh yes, and the Snowman, of course, but. Uh, yeah, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to say on Thirteen Assassins. I, I would be keen to see more Takashi Miike films in this vein because Audition mm. is a horror movie. Yeah, and so I've known him to be a good horror movie director or a good thriller. While this was period piece action movie, which is 
good too and um, has its place. And I'd be keen to see more of uh, his, I guess, action films because he was really, he was really well done when it came to yeah. that. I think the word to write down is uh, Jidai Geki. I think that I don't know if that just means period piece or period piece specifically of this type of era, but I have heard that word floating around. Yeah. Wow. Jidai Geki. I recommend 13 Assassins. It's I also, a thumbs up from me. I also recommend 13 Assassins, which in Japan is known as uh, Jusani no Shikaku. Thank you very much for getting that up for us. Now, I am recommending the next movie for us to talk about on the podcast. That's actually true. That is actually Lord. true. Thank you, my servant. And Samurai. I know. Nope. Okay, well, now I'm a Ronin, so you can't boss me around. I can pay you to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to leave Japan. My next pick is a Japanese movie also. It's Rashomon. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's an animated film. Uh-huh. And that's an iconic one. It's, it's one of the ones. But I can't remember if you've seen it before. But I feel like watching it again anyway for myself. I'm going to talk about the original Ghost in the Shell. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. Have you seen it? I have, but I watched it with my stepbrother, so there was limited attention. Given oh, boy. I have two copies of it on DVD. Yeah. Well, for some reason. We'll be watching that next episode, so people make sure to watch the original Ghost in the Shell. We'll be doing it in Japanese, the Japanese version. I have to say original because there's the American remake that's called Ghost in the Shell with Scar Joe. Mm. Uh, but we're going to be watching and talking about that. It's iconic. It's available. It's out there. Give it a watch for yourself. If you've seen it before, give it a revisit. If you haven't, well, this is a great opportunity to tick that one off the list. And uh, this is an opportunity for me to revisit it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's pretty easily available. I know for Americans, it's on YouTube. Like, it's officially like a YouTube thing. Like, you know, they have the, YouTube has like movies and shows and stuff. Mm. So it's there. But we'll be talking about that next time on the podcast. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to us talk over 13 Assassins. If you have any thoughts or questions or queries and or even recommendations for movies for us to cover on the podcast, we like to write those down. You can hit us up on social media, uh, Spit and Polish Presents. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can just follow us on there and see whatever we post. And you can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah, you can. You can do that. Uh, thank you again. Uh, remember to be kind to each other or I'll cut your head off and kick it like a soccer ball. And I will be horrified and then help Ryan finish his ambitions. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sorry, my lord. <laughs> Waga Aruji. <laughs> <laughs>